All right, we're starting a new series to go in line with this, uh, and it's, we're calling it The Ugly Incarnation. Now, for some of you, that might be a little offensive uh, if you don't understand our concept of using the word ugly, um, but we see it as something wonderful, but it's ugly in the eyes of the world, and I think it'll make more sense. But what we're going to talk about, and the, the word incarnation means incarnate in flesh, Carne means flesh, like carne, Spanish word for uh, meat, uh, where Jesus became human. And we did a whole series for several months on Christ before Christmas to find out that Christ didn't start existing at his birth. Jesus was very active throughout all the Old Testament, and then we'll find out even before he was creating with the Father uh, in Genesis. And so there's this eternalness of Christ. But in the incarnation, it be, he becomes part of history. He, he becomes one of us. And we're going to talk about that concept of incarnation. We're calling it ugly. And I think you'll see, uh, we see that as something really ugly as a way that God's glory is better even revealed. But it, it veils it to people that look at it with a wrong perspective. It's foolishness. It's weakness. It's, it's, it's just not... Uh, not something that is appealing to the eyes of prideful uh, humans as a king would come in this, this fashion. So we're going to go to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1, uh, probably the, arguably the richest verse in the entire Bible. I mean, you, you can, and I, I'm not going to solve all the mysteries. I'm not going to, you know, we are walking into territory to start with this morning and the mystery territory because we're going to talk about Christ. Part of the message will be Christ descending. Where did he descend from? How high was he? And then how low did he go in the incarnation? So we're going to introduce this verse and a couple that we'll look at this morning are the key to the whole gospel of John. John is different than Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're called the synoptic gospels. They're similar. There's many, like Jesus never tells a parable. John doesn't quote him telling a parable in the gospel of John, but all through the other Gospels. There's there's a lot of different. John's unique, and I love him in that way. But they all have their own uh, strengths. But but Matthew and Luke start Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem. We call it the Nativity. And there's many churches that that's their sacred place. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, has a tendency to embrace the 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 manger. They like to reflect and be in awe. And, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. You have more in, in, in church history. The, the Western church, which would be Roman Catholicism, spend more time thinking about the crucifix and the crucifixion of Christ. And, and maybe you could argue today evangelicals spend a lot of time at the empty tomb. But they're all one. Uh, but, but Matthew and Luke, they bring us to Mary. They bring us to the virgin birth. They bring us to Bethlehem. Mark brings us to the baptism of Jesus as the starting point. But John's going to blow them all away. So I want us to start with chapter 1, verse 1, Gospel of John, ugly incarnation, the Word was made flesh. Verse 1, in the beginning, was. So in other words, when you get to the beginning, Genesis 1-1, it was shorthand for Jewish, uh, for the Hebrews, they would say in the beginning, and they would mean Genesis. They'd mean the creation story. So John says, in the beginning, bringing us all the way back to creation. Genesis 1-1, first verse of the Bible. 
Before that, though, he says, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, the Word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So, we're going to, the, the word word here comes from a, a Greek word that's, it, some pronounce it logos or logos. I'll say logos, L-O-G-O-S. It's a term that the Hebrews would recognize as re- representing the wisdom of God, being with God in, in, a, in a divine way, uh, divine wisdom. It speaks of the message of God. The, 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 the logos would be the, the, the active words of God, how God created. But then the philosophers of that day used it in different ways, kind of what we would look at as New Age stuff today. Uh, they would think of it as the logos would be this kind of impersonal, the divine idea. You know, it's kind of the out there, out there. And so John takes this word, and we're going to see it's Jesus. There's no secret about it. Uh, And he's going to lay out. Now, let me just say this on the front end. If you don't get Jesus right, you'll never get God right. And if you don't get God right, you're not going to heaven. So I'd say get Jesus right. Then you'll get God right. Then you'll know what it is to be a a believer And, and and. There is no cult group out there that doesn't miss who Jesus is. Every every group that's out there of any substance, uh, any ism, uh, they they don't get Jesus. They 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 get that he was a prophet, uh, um, like the Muslim faith. But and which, by the way, they 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 tend to believe in the virgin birth, but they don't believe in the incarnation, which is kind of a an interesting. You see that uh, Mormonism they do not receive. Christ as the Logos, as we're going to talk about this morning. Jehovah Witnesses will reference that in a minute. They do not uh, represent. And then you go into the various uh, Asian uh, faiths, and none of them obviously believe in, in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to teach on this morning before we get to the actual incarnation. So half the message is going to be the eternal nature of Christ, and then we're going to talk about him becoming human. So verse one, in the beginning was the Logos. So when you get to the beginning, there's the non-beginning, the uncreated, the eternal. So in other words, when you get to the beginning of time, there's the creator, which he is now referring to as being equal to Jesus. He's saying here that Christ didn't begin at the incarnation, that Jesus has no beginning. Anything that has a beginning is not God. So angels have a beginning. They're created. Jesus has no, he's the beginner. He's the creator. So you have to get that right about him to see there's, there, 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 we're basically, you know, you could take uh, the great theologian Buzz Lightyear, you to infinity and beyond. That's where John's going here. I think Buzz got it from John. Uh, because he's basically going to show you, listen to me, I didn't know any of this was true when I came to Jesus and got saved. I just found out a God that loved me, died for me on the cross, and I needed forgiveness and salvation. I've learned this afterwards, so you don't have to have this all figured out. That's what the Alpha Course is so good. You don't have to have this all, but you don't want to stay 
in, in, in ignorance or stay in a, 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 a wrong understanding of who Christ is. So John says, when you get to the beginning, he's already there. He's the creator. Number two, he says, not only was he creating as the word, the logos, but he was, the logos was with God. And, and I, that's such a simple phrase, but it means face to face. It's a word that's used of, of, of people that would sit down as equals at a table and have conversation and fellowship and communion. Uh, let, let me to illustrate, because we're going to go to this verse in the coming days, but uh, in verse 18 of chapter 1, look down here uh, where John says this. He says, no man has ever seen God, but they're about to through Jesus, but let's just stay here with this. No man has ever seen God at any time. He's, he's so big, he's so transcendent, he's so glorious. He's, he lives, as the Bible says, in unapproachable light. You, you, there's no human being that could, people say, yeah, I want to see God. He'd kill you. You couldn't survive it. You couldn't stand it. I mean, it'd be like, if you can't stare at the sun that he made that's like a spark, that's just a spark. If you can't get within, how many hundred thousands of miles are we away from the sun? Like hundreds of thousands of miles. If you get that much closer, you'll have a meltdown. And that's the sun. That's not even a candle to God. He lives. So we need this God brought smaller, and that's what we're going to see in this series, uh, not reduced in, in, in meaning and power and value, but being made accessible uh, to us. No one has seen God at any time. The God, the one and only. So basically, Jesus seeing himself as God, God's only son, equal. He has, it says, God, the one and only, who is, not was, not will be. John uses the present tense to refer to Jesus and his relationship to God. Who is where? It's not so much a place, but it's a it's a relation. He's in the King James Version. I, I, I'm assuming the, I mean, the NIV is in, is it say the Father's side? Bosom, yes. Uh, the closer. Uh, this says, I should always check it. The more modern they get, the more cool they try to be. But anyway, who is himself God is in the closest relationship with the Father. What they're doing is they're interpreting the, the, the literal meaning. They're, they're giving it says he's in the Father's bosom. That's what it says. Now, they're interpreting that to mean he's close. I'm like, ah, that's so tasteless compared to being in the Father's bosom. I mean, we're talking heart to heart. We're talking laying his head on his chest, hearing his heart beat in that place of, yes, it's intimate, close relationship. But John says, Jesus, he's speaking in reference to him, on earth was in the bosom of the Father. That's what it means when John says in one one. not only was the word in the beginning, and the word was with God. This is what he's unpacking here. This is what it means. He's in a, in a there's a union between the Father and the Son that's been eternal. It didn't start when Jesus was born, and it didn't end when he died on the cross. Christ was raised and returned back to be in the bosom of the Father. But this time he brings us with him and we'll, we'll, we'll come on that. So I wanted you to see this meaning. Go back to verse 1. That he's in the He's with God. You've got to feel that. Not only is he eternal, he's the Logos 
that has intimate, face-to-face, laying his head on the... Who can tell you better about God than God himself, which is Jesus? We'll see that in a minute. Who can tell you? you? Basically, John that's writing this is building the credentials that Jesus, as no one else, can tell you what God's like. Why? Because he spent eternity with his head on his breast. Now, not literally. You know, it's like he's stuck there. But it's this bond that we could never fully grasp. Now, back to John. So, one is he's eternal. Two, he's with the Father in a face-to-face, intimate way. And number three, it says, and the word, the logos, was God. Now, I referenced Jehovah Witnesses earlier, and they have a, a translation that they've taken of the Bible called the New World Translation. It says all, everything that this verse says, except when they get to the, this piece right here, they just add a little letter, the definite article A. Is that a definite article? Always scary when I, I'm labeling something in an English I dropped out of English in college because I got saved. I was going to be a preacher, and who needs English if you're going to be a pastor? (laughs) Made sense at the time. I've paid for it ever since. Try to read what I write. Try to, you don't know. So they added the definite article, A. The word, the logos was A, little g. They just drove a wedge between God the Son and, God the Father, in such a way that's demonic. Because now you don't have the Jesus that John's talking about. If you compromise here, you do not have Christianity. You can say, well, I just love everybody. They're trying to be, they're people. And they'll tell you, well, we believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. You do. You believe that the Logos, that was God, is Jesus. No, 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 no. Because Jesus was on earth as a man. God's in heaven, how can they be the same? See, when you start using human reason and logic to try to explain the mystery of the eternal God, who's one God made up of three persons, all whole, distinct, but one God. We're not a a multi-God believers, but we're a trinity believer. We believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equal. I can worship the Holy Spirit and it's not blasphemy. I can praise Jesus and worship him and it's not blasphemy. And obviously I can love the Father. So John's saying, do you get this logos, how high up he was? I mean, we're talking angels are worshiping him. We're talking he's the creator. We're talking he's at the throne with the Father. One equal. The word was God. There's a, you, you can't drive a wedge between them. There's a distinction of roles and, but their essence is one. Now, we go from there to verse 14. You can read the verses in between, and they're great. They talk about John the Baptist and Jesus being the light of the world, and he came among his own, and his own didn't recognize him. But then John is going to take one verse 1, and he's going to anchor it in verse 14. And, and this, this is where it gets highly offensive. This is where it gets ugly, if you want to use our word. Verse 14, the logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we're going to unpack this verse more next week. You could spend time on it, maybe journal in it. But he says the logos became or was made flesh. The word flesh here is a, is a little Greek word, 
SARCS, S-A-R-X. So what's the big deal, Jamie? Well, the big deal is John, in writing this, had several options he could have said. He could have used the, the normal Greek word for a human uh, is an anthropos. He's a, he's a man. Uh, the, John was a man sent from God. Now, Jesus is fully a man, but the word sarks is a, is a lower term. It has the idea not just being human, but all that comes with being human, good and bad. You, you know, since Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned, we call it the fall, humans have never been what they were originally created to be. Adam and Eve used 100% of their mind. There was no effect of sin. There was no pollution of their, their souls. They were walking with God. They were geniuses beyond. They weren't cavemen. <clears throat> Me, man. You, woman. They were, they were, that God made them in his image to rule the universe, to name the universe. There was, can you imagine, Einstein used less than 10% of his brain. Let me go out on a limb and say, most of us are half of Einstein at best. So that means you're using like 5% of your brain. A lot of those cells have been destroyed. So you're baby down, you're in the, you're in the low digits. And, and just think about people in the low digits trying to make God answer to their wisdom and knowledge. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I'm a pea brain I got nothing to ask God, but give me wisdom, Lord. So John says, he's offending all these philosophers, all these people that were expecting this superhuman to come among us. And he says this God that was in the beginning, this logos, this logos that was with God face to face, this logos that was God, equal with him. He now has descended. Now you've got to understand that the gap between Logos and Sarks is infinite. You can't measure it. You can measure from here to the sun. You cannot measure the distance from Sarks, flesh, just human, just, just, just a limited, weak, mortal, bleeding, can hurt, die, feel human. You cannot measure how far Christ descended to get to be Sarks. It, it, it is, it's, it, he never stops being the Lagos, the Word of God. He never stops being God, but he laid aside his prerogatives. He didn't just become a human. He became a God-human. One, not schizophrenic, not split-divided, but one being the God, the Lagos, became Sark, became, he took on something he didn't have before. Remember when we looked in the Old Testament at Christ before Christmas and the different times in the Old Testament, Christ would appear and he would, but it was always temporal and it was all, it, it was, it was limited to that one occasion and he'd appeared to uh, whoever, uh, Noah or Abraham or, or whatever. And, and, and so this, what, what's happening here is permanent. So when Christ left heaven, he knew, because he volunteered for this, he knew what I'm signing up for is an irrevocable commitment. I am permanently taking humanity on to myself. Now, I know we sing a song, and I don't fault it. I like, I like the song, but it can have a connotation that some people miss here, is that he dressed up in frailty just to be 
near. But it's not dress up. This isn't a disguise. This isn't a costume. This isn't Jesus just kind of whoop, put a body on kind of like ours. And then after he was crucified, resurrected, whoop, it's gone. Remember when he came out of the grave, showed him the holes in his hands? Scars, same body. Resurrected, redeemed, walks through walls. It's different, but the same. Jesus became one of us. Sark, so, so if you were, I'll probably come up with a graph, but you could actually do it real simple in your mind. So you go from the highest glory of heaven, the throne, to come to earth. That's humbling in itself. Because you're, you're not visiting the galaxy. and the, You're coming to a polluted, infested, enemy-controlled turf. You're coming to the devil's playground. You've come to, are there not beautiful things on the, yeah. But we're talking coming amidst wars and disease and pain and death and hatred and prejudice. And that. so he's, he's that this is, I, I know this comparison breaks down and you can think of the fanciest city that you've ever, uh, you know, the cleanest night. I mean, for me, I'm going to go out. It's not Cape Coral. Let me just say that right on the front end. Uh, I love Cape Coral. Uh, we lived in Sanibel for years and, and, but I do, but when you ride around Naples, not every part, but I mean, it's like one gated community after another. I mean, the head, the sidewalks are amazing. I mean, it's just, it's just dazzles. It's just because it's money and there's a lot of money and everybody's got a yard man and everybody, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, you go from there to Cape Coral and it's like, you know, all right, you've stepped down a couple notches. All right. But if you go to some places my wife and I have been, like in the Congo, and you walk around there, like in the capital, Kinshasa, and you see piles of, of garbage, because they have no service, and the plastic. You'd learn, when you travel internationally, you learn to hate plastic. You hate, I mean, it's, it's, it's evil. It's wicked. You want plastic or paper? Because we we're supposedly saving trees, but really they were saving money. And plastic is, is basically indestructible. And so, but anyway, mounds of garbage just burning. No trees, no plants, no people in just abject poverty. Foul sewage, open sewage. It's just foul. It's offensive. It's ugly. In all the ways you could think, that's nothing compared to the perfect God that's never, ever been in any way, nothing has ever gone into heaven that had an ounce of defilement on it. Now he's living. So he not just became a human like us. He's living in a place that is broken and dark and filled with all kinds of wickedness and evil. If that's not enough, this body he takes on him, he comes in poverty. Why could He could have been born in a king's mansion. He'd have still been Jesus but he wouldn't been the God that he came to reveal. So all of this is part of God showing who he is in a way that's hidden to the eyes of the proud, but it's wonderfully revealed. It's an ugliness that doesn't block the glory unless you're arrogant. It's an ugliness that reveals the glory and that he comes in poverty with a teenage mom and a carpenter dad. He, he, and then, if that's not enough, 
he doesn't just come in poverty. He comes and has the mindset of a servant, as a slave. And if that's not low enough, he suffers and he dies. But it's not just death. It's death on a cross that was, if you are a Roman citizen, you are not allowed to be crucified on a cross. It was so degrading, so shameful, so just, it was just a horror. But he descended into the abyss of what it means to be human. He knows your world. He came, he came in a form of the, 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 the human. He came in a way that, that hides God, but yet reveals him in the very things that hide him. The ugliness of the incarnation is the very beauty of what Jesus is revealing of who God is. But people didn't want that. They wanted a king, not that could be spit on. They wanted a king to annihilate their enemies. They wanted a king that came in power and might, not weakness and humility. Listen to me. Let me just give you real briefly just to summarize, high theology of Jesus shows you how far he came to become flesh. Let me just give you three big thoughts about that. Number one, he came in this way because this is who his God is and who he is. He came to reveal a God that there's only one motive for doing this is love. You can't come up with another motive that I mean that would make any why 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 would you leave glory what humble 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 hum, what love because of us you know I think of today is a uh, and yesterday is an anniversary of two of our dear friends uh, different families that when we started our series on Job uh, last year the week we started it uh, that week, we had a couple in our church that are in our small group. Would you want to know why you have small groups? It's for times like this. You know, and, and you can't create community when you're in a crisis. Let me just help you. Our small group's boring often. Often. Are the people in your small group dysfunctional? Just like you. No exceptions, except my wife and I's group, but it's closed and you can't come to it because <laughs> we found the only perfect people and they're the ones that come to our group and so they can come in with us and our perfection. But this couple in our group, uh, they're, they're Ernie and Terry, some of the most precious people. Um, their daughter, Kate, a year ago today or yesterday, uh, 27, she, she overdosed on drugs at 25, brain dead. Right at the same time, our dear friends, Kent and Teresa, that watched online, part of the church in Tennessee, have been battling cancer, uh, cancer of the liver. And, and finally, after losing 100 pounds with chemo, and she found a donor that was a match. They had to, but it turned out to be a, a friend of the family whose 16-year-old was killed in a car accident going home from youth group. 16. And she had signed up to be an organ donor. And the mother laying beside her lifeless body calls our friends and said, we have a match for you if it matches. And it matched. And we thought a miracle was in process. And they, they, they uh, made the transplant, uh, but it, it, she didn't make it. And so all the same 
you know, and they're both a year into it uh, today, this weekend. Now, what difference does what I just said make? If you stayed at verse 1, not so much. A big God, but you've got to understand he is great, he's glorious, he transcends, but he has a heart that would be demonstrated by this radical descent to this planet and become a human to demonstrate I care and love you. I'm coming into your pain. I'm coming into your sorrow. I'm coming into your sickness and diseases. I'm coming into the warfare that you're in the middle of. I'm coming to face the bully that's been bullying every one of his children called death. I'm coming as one of you to demonstrate that I, for God, as John says it this way a couple chapters later, the only explanation he can find in this is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That what did he do? He gave. That word gave has all that I just covered. All the, the, the Christ leaving heaven, Christ becoming human, Christ becoming poor, Christ living in, in humility, humility, Christ living as a servant. Why? Because God cares about you in the place of your brokenness. It's not you together. <laughs> It's not you that finally lost some weight and quit smoking and doesn't cuss as much as you used to. It's not you that's perfect. It's he loved the world that he came into in its brokenness, in its lostness, in its pollution and sin. He came to demonstrate a God that has that kind of love. I get it, much of life, these circumstances, because the same couple that lost their daughter just a month ago, their son is diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer, and he's in he's in uh, out of the lives out of the country, and and you know, but, but our group just gathered around him. I know groups weren't meeting, but groups meet even when we're not meeting if we need to meet, and we just got together. And nobody who has an answer for a parent that's lost a 25 year old suicide, and now a son that loves Jesus to and he's not lost, but he's he's battling. A pancreatic cancer stage four and you, there are no answers we just cried with them we just told story let them tell stories we just were we were we were a community that's that's when you need a group you you don't you but you have to take time to develop that if you never help anybody move don't call me and say i need help moving you, you go help there's somebody moving all the time go help someone you don't know you want someone to help you move? You better help somebody move. You want to, you, you want somebody, you got to become in community, but that's on you. you. You wait till you're in crisis, you won't get to me. I'm hard to, I've got an unlisted number. People on a regular basis, can I meet with you? No. You don't want me as a counselor. Let me help you. Be happy that we have a team of people and I can point you to someone else. But listen, that's why help, I need a priest. Jesus came to demonstrate the love. Not, not to just preach it, but he knows above everybody else. He knows the heart of the one he comes to represent. And he says, he loves you. That's why I'm here. I'm on a mission of love. Second of all, 
he demonstrates the most radical. I never got taught this in seminary. You don't read about it in most theology books. But there's a character of God. See, Jesus didn't make God become something he wasn't already. He just made him visible. He just made him accessible. He made him relatable. But everything that Jesus is on earth is who God is in heaven. There's not a disconnect there. There's not a like, well, I can relate. You know, Jesus is, no, he came to show us. That's what verse 18 says, to declare to us what the father's like. In his ugliness of the incarnation is to me, other than love, one of the greatest attributes of God is humility. I don't know another teaching, they may be out there, that their, their God, that they brag on him being humble. Who has, a, who has a king that you brag on him being servant-hearted? That doesn't seem powerful in our world. It doesn't seem glorious. It doesn't seem majestic that you would wash feet, that you would touch lepers, that you'd hold babies, you'd cry over people that are lost, that you would demonstrate the glory of God seen in the ugliness of humility. Humility is ugly. Have you ever tried to be humble? It's not fun. It's painful. It's cost you to serve somebody, to forgive somebody, to be kind to somebody that you'd rather not be. Someone that you think you maybe are a couple notches above. And God says, no, I want you to learn to be like me. And if you don't learn to be, Jesus gave us a model of a father that's humble. He comes to us in humility. He doesn't come to force us. God's looking down. He's mad and he's getting ready to come down. No, he did come down, and he didn't come down angry. Now, I'm not saying there weren't times Jesus got angry. We'll talk about that. But he came to demonstrate a father that's the God of the universe who's humble, which means you're important to him. If he wasn't humble, you're not important. If he wasn't humble, he wouldn't have patience. If, you weren't, if he wasn't humble, he wouldn't make, give you access to him through Christ. Christ came the third thing. Show love, reveal humility, and finally, and we'll unpack these through this series, uh, Ugly Incarnation, discovering a smaller God. He's come to defeat and destroy our enemy, Satan, and death. He's come to defeat him in a way he could have defeated him with his power with a snap of the finger. But instead, he comes on his turf, becomes one of us, the only way he could redeem us is by doing this. So he's going to get a two for one. He's going to destroy the devil, and he's going to pay for our sins and bring us to heaven. So he's going to accomplish both by becoming sarks, becoming flesh, becoming human, becoming lowly, becoming weak, becoming limited, becoming bleedable, mortal, becoming someone that could be killed, and he was. I say, wow, if that's not beautiful, I don't know what beauty is. If that's, that's not superficial beauty, it's not the beauty of the world. It's the character of God. It's the heart of a God that loves and is humble, stoops down, stoops down from glory 
to the abyss of this world. The filthy, nasty world. If you're perfect and you've never even been, you, and you come and you're light and you come living among darkness, it's a shock. You can't imagine the sorrow that he kept, the, the pain of this world, the hatred of this world, the, the, the brokenness of this world. And Jesus came and experienced all of that to demonstrate the Father's love, the humility of his heart, and then the power of his salvation. That's beautiful. So I call it the ugly incarnation because in the, in the world's eyes, it's ugly. It's foolish. It's stupid. It's not, how are you going to save people by dying? How, you know, how, is that, how is that a message to change the world where you let people spit on you and, and, and reject you and walk away and you don't run after them? Uh, how is that going to change the world where you're washing people's feet? How are you going to change? Well, he did. And it's the power of love shown in self-sacrifice that's the most powerful force in the universe. It destroyed darkness, overcame evil, defeated sin, and brought salvation to planet Earth. And I say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a Savior. No name above that name. No name. He has no rivals, none. Even as a baby, he had no rivals. He had enemies, but no rivals. He'll come into your circumstances if you let him. He's already proven that by coming here and becoming one of us. He knows what you're going through. He weeps with us because he's been there, and he has the power to lift you up if you let him. You have to get off of your little wimpy throne and the little ruined universe you think you're running. You think you're running a universe. As the guy on TV used to say, how's that working for you? Not so good. Last I checked, there's only one that sits on the throne. So you got to get off of yours. Quit running your own life, making your own decisions, choosing what you think is best. And not yielding, submitting, and learning to trust the one who's come to be one of us and has conquered. Let's pray. Just take a moment, and and maybe you're someone here that you need to get off that little uh, rickety throne you think you're sitting on and realize, whoa, I, I, I I can't change the world, let alone run my own life effectively. I, I need help. I need Jesus to be my king. He, he, he's already proven that he loves you. He's already proven that he will stoop down and become smaller so you can know him in a life-changing way. So what do I do, Jamie? You invite Christ to come be the Lord of your life. Just say, Lord, I surrender to you. Come rule my life. Forgive my sins. Just invite him. And many of you have done that, but it's easy to do that and then walk away and think, well, you did that, but it doesn't affect your day-to-day life. Jesus is a day-to-day Jesus. Jesus is an hour-to-hour Jesus. Jesus is an every-moment Jesus. But not if you don't take and pay attention and invite him to come in in a fresh way.
to your pain, your brokenness. He'll stoop down again, and he'll step in, and he'll bring peace where there's chaos. Come, Jesus. Lord, give courage to those that need to take a stand this morning. Lord, just uh, let this be a day of new beginnings. In Jesus' name.